You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster Talk is supported by listeners like you. Find out how you can contribute via Patreon or with reviews at monstertalk.org forward slash support. Your contributions, large or small, make a huge difference. Thanks. I am Krampus, fear my name. Far and wide extends my fame. I arrive when I am bidden and sniff out children where they're hidden. Who is naughty? Where's my prey? I'll tear them up without delay. And daily though I do my spying, I've scarcely seen a child trying. Good children, though, are not my task. Only for the bad I'm asked. For those my sack is neatly suited, their vexing screams and whining muted. Off I pack them to their fates, the spoiled little retrobates. With brats as these, one choice is fit to toss them in the fiery pit. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Greetings, Monster Talkers. It is I, Blake Smith, your host here at Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. You just heard the mellifluous intonations of Wilkinson, appearing courtesy of the Bone and Sickle podcast, where he serves dual roles. First, he's Al Rydenor's Gentleman's Gentleman. And second, and perhaps of more interest to listeners, he's Al's Consonance Companion. He appears tonight thanks to a special arrangement with Bone and Sickle. 
And if you like the rich and haunting quality of his voice, be sure to check out our show notes at monstertalk.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to the Bone and Sickle podcast, and wherein you'll find each episode has been audibly bedazzled with dozens of Wilkinson's sonorous syllables, perhaps even more than we deserve. Here in Georgia, the sun is crushing us beneath its blistering heels, and I thought it would be fun to take our minds to cooler climes and spend some time talking about the lore around the Krampus. This goat-horned, demon-faced creature normally makes his appearances during the Christmas season, but I thought it might be nice to take some time to cool off to these alpine legends and to drift to sleep to the far-off intonations of a different kind of Christmas bell. Join us now as we settle down by the Yule Log, while outside, flakes of snow kiss lightly on the frosted glass of our study window. It's time for Krampus in July. Monster Dog. Al Reidenauer is the author of the gorgeous, grotesque, and fascinating book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. He's also the host of the podcast Bone and Sickle, and honestly, I cannot overemphasize how much I think listeners of Monster Talk will enjoy both of these things. Get the book, subscribe to the podcast, you should do it. In fact, why don't you pause this show, go and find Bone and Sickle, and then add it back to your feed, and then come back here. You won't be sorry. I'll wait. Hopefully you came back. All right. <laughs> Al does an amazing job of collecting fascinating folklore, contextualizing it with references to the source material, and much more information about the era from whence it comes. And he does it all with a delightful style that I find enviable, despite the paucity of puns in his content. So <laughs> welcome to Monster Talk, Al Reidenauer. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show. I'm a longtime I, listener. Me too. What? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really do love your show. Is this your first podcast uh, that you're doing, uh, your Bone and Sickle? That, is this the first one you've put together yourself? Yes, it is. Um, I started it thinking that I would just mine my uh, Krampus book, and that would be nothing to it. I'll just read it out of my book. It'll be simple. And while I'm learning, I, I, I sort of can't stop myself when it comes to making things complex and dense and so forth. So I haven't even really used much from my Krampus book yet, but come the season I may. But yeah, this is uh, the first time I've done a podcast. I've done other uh, audio and video stuff, but uh, never put them together like this before. It is, it's wonderful. And I, I love the sound design. Uh, I love the sort of characters that you've put together and, and the, <laughs> the whole concept. And uh, for, for, for listeners, I, it's, it's, uh, this is how I would describe it. Uh, I guess there's sort of this uh, artificial layer where it, it appears to be you and your valet or valet, uh, depending on where you're from, uh, <laughs> uh, sitting in a, a library discussing folklore. And it has a sort of steampunk Victorian feel to it. But the stuff you talk about uh, is all real folklore. Uh, yes, absolutely. And, and, and it's uh, so much deeper and more sincere than than a lot of the uh, the content you would find in a, a Especially from a first-time podcaster, I mean, it's just—it's really well done. So, uh, I, I I love it, and I I can't uh, obviously give you big piles of money, but I give you a hearty endorsement. <laughs> Thank you. I, I should point out, it's it's not just folklore; it's horror and folklore. This is we true. Talk, yeah, yeah. It's just the folk folklore to find the darkest, uh, creepiest stories, and there's a little there's a little history thrown in, um, but. Uh, 
Yes, uh, folk horror, horror folklore. Uh, that's that. That would be the way to describe it. You know, I always feel funny about asking this question because it seems like every time we interview somebody, it's always, "How did you get interested in this?" But the, the when I really thought about it today, I was thinking about like for people who don't know much about whatever the topic is, it really is an important question. Why did you get passionately interested in this topic? And then today we're talking about Krampus, and we're talking about Krampuses. What are Whatever the, the – the, there, it's not a single monster. It's a, it's a – it's sort of – as you put in the book, it's a, it's not Dracula. It's vampires, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and for that reason, uh, I, I do say – you'll, you'll have to all forgive me. I will say the Krampus uh, instead of Krampus because it's not a, it's not a proper, proper noun. So I will say the versus uh, just Krampus. Uh, so the – and it's also how it's said in German. So how I got interested in the Krampus or the Krampuses – uh, and and I also constantly hear people ask me about the plural because they want to say Krampi because it sounds like it's Latin word, so they want to do that Latin pluralization. But uh, I just say Krampuses because we're Americans here. Uh, Kampusa is how you'd say it in German, but I, I think you can go with Krampuses. In any case, how I got interested, um, I was uh, in my undergrad years. I I studied German uh, literature, language and literature, and. Uh, that sort of was added to a childhood obsession with monsters. And when I started to uh, sort of get this inkling of these creepy folk traditions, um, it just, uh, I, I sort of filed it away because at the time when I was in school, uh, um, there really wasn't that much information about uh, the Krampus in English speaking countries. So um, in fact, as far, even after, even after I graduated, I went to live in Berlin for a year. I wasn't sure where I was going after uh, undergrad, and uh, I was I was studying at the university in Berlin. But um, I still didn't know that much about it uh, to the point that uh, around Christmas, I remember walking in some store and seeing these racks of these beautiful old lithographs of uh, devil heads, and not really not really recognizing it as the Krampus. This is all. This is uh, in the eighties, sometime late eighties. But I remember buying one and putting it in my fridge, and then lo and behold, years later, my house was filled with these things. That's awesome. And I don't, I don't just mean postcards and masks and everything. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, was, I really always loved, grew up watching old monster films, horror films, and uh, add to that the, the German, interest in German culture. And uh, and then around the, you know around the uh, early two thousands, I think a lot of us started thanks to the internet started seeing. First, I think it was the uh, people started scanning the old photos. Or uh, there's a collector in Chicago named Monty Beauchamp who uh, published a few lovely collections of the old Krampus postcards. So those started popping up on the internet, and then after that, uh, we started seeing uh, videos of uh, the actual Krampus runs. Which is, I think, when I first heard about this, all this stuff, I, I really had no idea it was still an ongoing tradition. And you know, it has been sort of reborn and reformed and revised but uh i didn't know it was such a lively thing and, th- and then you know so come mid 2000s we're all seeing these videos and before you know it i'm <laughs> i'm uh, trying to make masks and planning a trip to uh, austria and bavaria and kind of uh, that was the seed of my book uh basically trying to do arrange travel plans where i could see the most traditional stuff and that sort of research became kind of the framework for the book itself it's it's really really uh, a, a must have. I think the book has so many uh, 
well, first of all, it's full of beautiful pictures, but uh, it's got so many great stories and talks about how these different folklore traditions are related to each other. And there, there's a lot of uh, uh, Germanic uh, sort of Christmas traditions and, and really all over Europe that are, 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 are quite uh, similar in theme, I think. Uh, sort of this uh, dark or demonic or uh, at least... I don't want to say ugly, monstrous. I guess is the right word. Then I, I find them weirdly beautiful in some of the pictures, uh, even though I think they're supposed to be horrific. Uh, uh, did you come to any conclusions about uh, why this this is part of uh, the Christmas tradition? Um, well, I mean, I, I think really just the seasonality of uh, of things influence. I mean, the, you know, the winters a time when I mean, if you go way back, the winters are time where you know in agrarian cultures you're you don't have that much work to do and it's cold outside and it's hostile and the nights are long and you can tell stories to entertain yourself because you you don't have streaming video um, <laughs> and uh you know all good stories require villains or monsters or adversaries so i think really honestly i think the i think this the weather the seasons and the you know the work the agrarian you know work cycles life cycles influence uh storytelling and so i think you know winter became a time for you know exploring to ex- ex- kind of explore the inner life it, you're working like a dog the rest of the year but uh in in winter you, you know there's time time for for fantasy and and then you know and then christmas was a time for you know, even greater indulgence and and it's the sort of the origins of our all of our like, theatrical traditions come from early church plays uh so I think um, I think it was the the desire to celebrate uh, and the sort of uh, hostility, honestly, of the of the elements that kind of gave us like, this idea of like celebrating with an with an edge. Uh, and I will, you know, and of course, Christian doctrine too, with you know, with, that provided lots of fun devils and devilry and catastrophic scenarios <laughs> to dramatize. So. I think all those things came together. You know, I can only really talk about Europe in, in this case. And then we're, the Krampus story is really about Europe. But yeah, I, I think I think it's all of those things really that came together in a perfect perfect storm and it kind of made for these traditions that uh, Americans we, we only inherited it sort of thin a thin dilution a, a sort of weak 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 sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think if you've listened to the show, you've heard me talk about that. That sort of my upbringing was uh, a very much a fundamentalist. Christian Southern Baptist kind of uh, you know tradition, and I, yeah. I, th- I think there's in America there's been this sort of and I, I don't know if it's literally puritanical, but that's probably the right adjective. Uh, this idea of keeping out anything that has sort of the the resemblance to evil, uh, but uh, in in the European tradition it seems like this is a reminder of is it's the stick to the carrot, or as you literally see in some of these traditions, it's the it's the stick to the candy, right? <laughs> So oh. having the Krampus reminds you, well, you know what? We really haven't even talked about it. This is a an audio show. Why don't you describe what the Krampus looks like? Oh, um, uh, well, uh, I would imagine, you know, people have some ideas. Uh, let's just start by saying there are sort of two two kinds of Krampuses. Um, I was talking earlier about the postcards, which I think are a little really more common and come to mind more readily in the U.S., um, and so that character <clears throat> looks like he's a he's a black, uh, usually a kind of dark colored black devil. Sometimes he might be red, uh, and he's furry, uh, two horns, uh, 
has a basket on his back to snatch away naughty children, might, uh, might have switches in his hands. Um, uh, but the, uh, so that's the sort of, uh, that's the character that was designed for the postcards. But you have to remember that the postcards were done, created in sort of urban areas by artists that didn't grow up on farms. The actual tradition, the older tradition goes back to, you know, farming communities in the Alps. And so their idea of what a Krampus is, they didn't have, they never had pic- these pictures. Um, so, you know, this stuff is going on, bef- the postcards start circulating in the like 1870s or 80s. And uh, the traditions are quite a bit older. So the, the older, the real Krampus, and this is actually what's kind of carried forward a bit more into the Krampus parades or Krampus runs is uh, kind of more bestial. Um, he's a creation, something that you look, that we'd look at it and think that comes from a farm, but like the devil's farm. <laughs> so <laughs> look, he's more, he's more, uh, he'll, he'll be, he'll have long fur. Um, in Europe, the suits are made of, of, of certain, you know, certain kinds of Alpine goats, which obviously it's cold. The goats have really long fur. So long trailing fur, um, and he might have more, the postcard devils are kind of more like um, sort of Mephistopheles or kind of a stage devil, They're a little more refined and effete, I might say. But the, the costumes, the costume Krampus can have multiple horns. Uh, they're, you know, they're really bulky. Uh, the masks are a little oversized, or, uh, so the whole creature ends up being a little taller than usual. Uh, and they're, I find them a little more daunting, actually. So it's a, it, he'll be like a, a furry devil. He won't necessarily have that basket you'll see in the postcards. He will have a belt uh, with bells that add to the effect. It's sort of a loud, startling cacophony that he comes with. And uh, uh, the faces are, you know, kind of uh, in the, the actual traditional mass are kind of like uh, roughly carved. Uh, they look, you, you look at that and you think that's that's folk art. Although now we've there's evolved a lot of uh, newer style masks that are influenced by Hollywood movies. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, um, and in fact, speaking of movies, there's now been uh, several movies that sort huh. of the deal around with with the topic. Yeah. Uh, have you watched those? Oh, yeah. And what, what what are your thoughts? <laughs> well, you know, I live in L.A., so um, the the producers of the film actually did reach out to us because I also run uh, – we do Krampus events in L.A. since 2013. We've been doing a Krampus a Krampuslauf, a Krampus run in, in – uh, well, now it's in downtown L.A. for the last several years and some other events. So we've kind of drawn together a bunch of people who are interested – and, uh, yeah, I did, they, they actually, they, I went to an early screening of the film and they wanted me to, I think they wanted us to sort of help, you know, grass, sort of, sort of grassroots promotion for it. And at the end of the film, they asked me how I liked it. And I just said, well, there wasn't any Krampus in it because it's so, <laughs> so, so remote from anything that's related to the tradition. And I, 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 I like horror films and I like horror films that are funny, but I, I kind of didn't find the film. I mean, just as a film critic here now, I didn't find the film very funny or, or very scary. Uh, and, it, you know, it's very different from the from the actual tradition. Uh, one of the things like we, you were just saying earlier, it, the Krampus comes in a pack. He's he's a plural entity. It's a herd. He's a herd animal. So the, the they took what they took sort of a pack and stuffed them all together in one character. And suddenly you have like a 15 foot tall monster instead of a pack of, you know, man sized creatures. I mean, that's just for start, starters. Sure, but, sure. <laughs> uh, the the amount of uh artwork uh in your book is is kind of amazing to me. I mean it's full of these these beautiful pictures and 
uh, they're from all over the place, it seems like. But wh- how did, uh, first of all, how much of a role did you have in selecting the images? And, and was it? Oh, I, solic- I solicited, I got them all together. They're all uh, things that I uh, pulled in. And the reason we have so many uh, great pictures is because of the various troops across Europe um, are, are, they're proud of their mass, they're proud of their troop, and so they're eager to. And the mask carvers also, um, they're, you know, they're happy to have their book, their work shown. So it was kind of a matter of pride to supply photos. So uh, it was just, it worked really well in that way. That's fantastic. Uh, so, well, you know, I, I wanted to put this later in the in the interview, but let's just jump to this question. So tell me about the Krampus run, because it seems like it it, it fits in with uh, a holiday tradition. It reminds me a lot of some of the other sort of fan-based social activities like zombie runs and uh yeah. other sort of cosplay events yeah yeah it, is it is it as old i mean is it, is it how far back do these go and what do they represent oh well um i would agree with you uh in the u.s as it's been adopted the custom has been adopted here and there are i would say there's a couple dozen at least uh cities in the u.s that have some kind of krampus run in one form or another but uh you know, we're we're emulating a tradition that started in the Alps of Germany, Germany and Austria, uh, that goes back. And I always have trouble with this because it depends what you call act. The thing we call Krampus kind of evolves slowly, and there's many roots and things to trace. But you know, roughly you could say to the 17 or 1800s, um, and then it went through various uh, cycles and stages of evolution. Um, I think I think the thing what we would what we would recognize as a Krampus run maybe really isn't much older than the 19, the teens and twenties, thirties. And then even the masks that we recognize now as Krampus masks, really, uh, uh, uh some of them, uh, the style kind of evolved even the 1980s, seven, seventies, eighties, nineties. Uh, so yeah, how old it is, is kind of another question, but, um, this idea of, um, rowdy processions uh, occurring around the holidays is, you know, that, if you look at that as the phenomenon versus this horned beast that punishes children, uh, the idea of a uh, sort of (laughs) disruptive uh, sort of uh, carnivalesque public gathering of people causing mischief, basically, you know, that, that you can easily trace Back not you know not only to the Middle Ages but to uh, the you know Saturnalia uh, even further back. So it's I always that's always the question like what do you mean by this or oh what wow is, what, yeah, what are you yeah. I didn't even think uh, about that but the, it, didn't Saturnalia involve also something to do with switches? Uh, Lupercalia uh, that's, oh, that's uh, it Lupercalia I, yeah. I, I really guess it's more people uh, is uh, yeah that's that's around February uh, February thirteenth which and actually doesn't have anything to do with Valentine's Day, despite all the uh, people who will tell you it does. Uh, I mean, you could make a case for it, I suppose. Yeah, Luper Kelly has to do with switches. What's interesting is, um, uh, uh, you know, before we talk about this, I do feel it, it's incumbent upon me to provide the one other basic fact about all this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, let me back up a bit. So we have these crazy wild Krampus runs, and you can people may know about them. Uh, you know, it's packs of Krampuses running through a city, swatting people with switches. And that's uh, that's one phenomenon. But the Krampus is uh, he's uh, paired. Not, he's not a he's not actually a Christmas uh, uh, Christmas uh, 
uh, creature or Christmas tradition. Okay. Um, associated with St. Nicholas and, uh, St. Nicholas Day in the Catholic Church is December 6th, so uh, the actual tradition is, is involves uh, these uh, packs of Krampuses uh, going from house to house with St. Nicholas, who is uh, evaluating kids' behavior. So It's your so a- annual review. Yes, your <laughs> annual review. It's, it's kind of like the last judgment on a small scale for kids. Uh, so you have the devil and you have the saint. Um, so this is so that th- what, what happened basically um, to trace it one way is we we have this sort of um, para ecclesial ecclesiastic tradition. It's kind of a matter of folk Catholicism where you, you have this kind of you have this represent this representative saint, St. Nicholas going from house to house. And he has a representative devil, which is the Krampus, which is itself kind of a newer name for this this creature but let's just say he's a devil that comes with the saint and so um originally um as this uh, phenomenon really got started it was more about these they call it a, the house visit and um this is a much t- uh, no, I w- no i won't say it's a tamer affair it's just a smaller scale affair so um these so these uh they call them passing the little groups. They're led technically by St. Nicholas and there might be six or seven Krampuses. So this is like the really traditional form of this, of uh, all of this practice. And it's doesn't exist even in Austria and, and uh, Bavaria. Uh, and again, I should maybe back up once again and say, when we talk about the Krampus, we're not talking about all of Germany. If you talk to somebody from Berlin about this, they'll, they think of it as kind of some weird Southern, Hill, I will say hillbilly because there's a little bit the same idea in Germany as, as in the U.S. Uh, so there, it's, it's kind of a rustic tradition of the South. So it's really just Bavaria, it's southern Germany, and then uh, Austria. And it's not really all of Austria. It's the eastern part of Austria in the Alps. So it's pretty, pretty, a pretty small area. And then of that area, um, there's the area uh, – what's – left of the sort of older tradition that is house visits is, is pretty – it's really uh, – uh, doesn't we'll say dozens, maybe maybe a hundred, um, maybe two hundred. I don't know uh, towns where these little house visits happen, and these are like little staged, uh, so like little staged plays in a way. There so there are parts that are scripted. This Saint Nicholas will uh, recite some uh, verse, uh, rhymed verse, when he arrives, and after that, maybe it kind of devolves into more spontaneous stuff where he he'll ask the kids how they've been that year. And uh, the kid traditionally has to, like, in the old days, they would like, recite some memorized Bible verse. And nowadays, it might be they have some other kind of memorized poem or they do a little performance. They're, put, they're actually put to the test. And, uh, and then they're rewarded. And then the next step of the visit is uh, the, uh, Nicholas reminds them if they aren't good in the next year. Uh, and then he, uh, he whistles. He has, usually has a little a whistle because... Honestly, you need that to hear over all the, the crevices will be outside in their heavy mass with their bell rate bells ringing and they'll hear that whistle and they know it's their cue to come in. So they'll come in and sort of storm through the house <laughs> and, uh, sort of, there were, there's sort of, um, uh, varying degrees of Liberty they were given. Uh, you, I've seen like old films from the sixties where they'll like drag furniture out and outside into the snow and they drag everyone from the house. It's not just the kids. In fact, in fact, they're kind of, you know, they're actually gentle with the kids. Uh, and uh, so, so anyway, so, so there's some like kind of planned chaos that's kind of ideally fun for everyone. I'm sure kids actually, you know, they do get scared here and there. 
So, so that's one phenomenon. It's the house visit. And originally these Krampus runs, um, they kind of just evolved, uh, <clears throat> evolved as these groups of like, as I said, the six, six, seven, eight Krampuses, whatever, and a Nicholas going from house to house. And so it wouldn't be like a planned parade route. But now as, uh, the, <clears throat> as cities that didn't initially, you know, where the tradition wasn't native kind of got, embraced the tradition, you start having these bigger parades down the main street. And then by, you know, <clears throat> so we're talking like the 1910s, 20s with these house visits. So it exists here and there still, but by the sick, by the, and then things kind of t- uh, took off in the 60s and 70s. And so by the 80s and 90s, you have uh, big parades in cities like Salzburg and Graz with and uh, where they will set up uh, like uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, fencing between the the audience and the and the and the uh, the Krampuses. But in the old days, it would be just <laughs> rogue groups wandering around the city, and they would playfully like if they see you, they would chase you know see the see you, they chase you. And so you, again, you have two different things where you have the kids having their kind of a kind of rough and wild Sunday school lesson in the in the home, and then you have these. They're usually teenage boys or twenty somethings in costumes, and they're after they leave the home, they're they have some schnapps, and if they see you in the street, they're going to smack you and chase you. And so it's, they're two different things. The thing, one thing is sort of an instructive thing, so ideally for the kids. The other is making mischief and having fun, just being rowdy uh, out of, when you're out on the street. So the Krampus runs more of that rowdy thing. It doesn't really have to do with judging, punishing any of that. It's more smacking people for fun (laughs) (laughs) is is how much does alcohol figure in um it's really uh i i don't have actually i don't have real honest data on that because i feel like when i talk to people they put on a good face um uh some people you know people would some people would admit that, that i do believe it's become um it's become less it's become less of a factor if you read old accounts uh especially going back you know you know it's obviously a factor but because we, i think because we have more i think because the media coverage when something goes wrong if somebody's drunk and misbehaves and actually ends up getting hurt i think uh it's really kind of curbed it a bit so yeah alcohol consumption some troops will say that you uh if you drink any alcohol before the Krampus run they'll kick you out of the troop uh, it, it varies, and it depends what area you're into, what you know, what part of Austria, and how um, traditionalist they are. I, what, the reason I ask is because I was wondering if it f- sort of fed into the like the wassail traditions or any, like do you, do people provide alcohol when they come to visit that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so it, going way back, um, uh, <clears throat> the I, I sort of when we go way back, we kind of generalize. And we're not talking specifically about Krampus anymore, but we're talking. Let's just talk about this sort of generalized um <clears throat> winter uh there we have yes the, the these 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 areas uh have the same have similar house to house christmas visits by costumed uh uh people uh who offer some uh so these they offer some performance in exchange for food or drink and they prefer drink i think <laughs> so yeah and, and these little so this little sort of play that nicholas and his devils present is a version of that. Uh, the Wasslers would be, you know, they have a song or a poem they would recite. This is their version. That's their performance that they, that they give. And yeah, the, the, in the areas where the house still exists, there is some understanding of the, some kind of, some kind of gift that will be given. And now it's more, now it's usually going to be money and not, no, the, I'm sure people still get drink. They don't think they get food so much, 
but there, there, there is kind of an understanding that when you visit a house, there's some kind of payment. And I think some of the troops will even ha- ask the money to be donated somewhere. So, uh, but you know, that, I think that it's definitely the same roots. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it felt like that w- would have figured in. I, I wasn't yeah. really clear on that, but, but it's funny because the, the mass, the costumes, the people are putting so much effort into some of these. I mean, obviously it varies depending on where you're looking at, but the, uh, I, I, I was just wondering about how would you drink, how would you eat in those costumes? <laughs> it's a very practical question. <laughs> well, they're, they, they, you know, they have a, they're very, in at least where it's traditional, they're very strict about not being seen without their mask on. Yeah. So yeah, you have to go hide behind the house or behind the barn or something and enjoy your, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't take your, uh, you don't take your masks off during the visit at all, even after the performance. I know with, uh, I know with uh, some of the tradition, like English English traditions, and the the the, the English uh, mummers that uh, would disguise going door to door around Christmas would disguise their voices as a certain kind of voice they would do that sounds to me like a Donald Duck voice. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you couldn't recognize uh, their uh, who they were, and also you know the idea is uh, they would be a lot a lot of these old Christmas traditions. The idea of being masked is. It's partly, uh, it's you know, you're partly representing something, but in some of the in some of these traditions, it's not so much you're representing something else as you're disguising your identity. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they so you're representing some kind of supernatural being, and what I was going to say is with the uh, with I know with the old English traditions where they you can't even let them hear your voice. The idea is uh, the the when you go to the house, you're supposedly bringing some sort of uh, supernatural blessing to the house. You're blessing the house. You you know you're you sing a song and that's a, a sung blessing. But if they if you're just an ordinary person and they recognize you, it it basically breaks the magic. I was going to say for our younger listeners, uh, uh, blessing is kind of like uh, what they did before likes on Facebook. Oh so. yeah, <laughs> it's like a thought prayer or a thought. Yeah. Good thoughts, good vibes. It's good vibes. That's, I'm in California. That's what we'll say. <laughs> I just I love this because it, it seems to fit into so many things I like uh, the the sort of the cosplay aspect the the social tradition of of of, of doing these sort of thing it was literally tradition right I mean I feel like sometimes in in this age of modernity we we lose a lot of these traditions uh, because everything's happening online or you know or we end up living in little suburbs where that's just not a thing. When I first moved into this neighborhood, uh, there were actually people in the neighborhood who got together and did uh, Christmas caroling, and uh, it was wonderful. And then when the kids grew up from that particular family that was organizing it, nobody ever picked up the tradition, so uh, there's no need to uh, put together the punch or any of that stuff. But I I really enjoyed it while it lasted, and I can't help but imagine that that if anybody were doing this in Kennesaw, which is my hometown, uh, Krampus in Kennesaw just seems like a really natural fit. I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna take this up with some of my ha- Halloween enthusiast friends and see if I can't get it going here on the East Coast. But you, you've been involved with uh, sort of getting this going on the West Coast as a as an American activity. You want to talk about that a little bit? I just wanted, I had read about this tradition for a while and and, and wanting to see it in person. I started researching, doing research for the trip, so I end up, I ended up going to an area. Uh, it's a bit south, uh, east of Salzburg. Um, and it's called, uh, it's, uh, uh, well, the real, the town itself is called, uh, Bad Gustein, and there's some other towns. The whole thing is the Gustein Valley. And it's, uh, I discovered that's 
Well, what I <laughs> what I actually did is I looked on YouTube to see where the rowdiest, most crazy, violent stuff seemed to be happening because I figured that was probably the oldest. And uh, you know, it's not. I I can I, I actually, if that was my conclusion, I was wrong at the time because there are areas that are actually there is an there's an area in um, there's an area in the Tyrol which is not the same. I'm, I'm a bit like uh, north of there. What we're talking what I'm talking about, but there's an area in the Tyrol. Uh, where they actually discourage tourists for, for, from coming because it's, it's, it can be so violent. It's actually, it's, it's really famous. For, it's so famous that they're uh, so famous for being violent that their Krampuses don't have horns because they could hurt somebody too much when they start wrestling and throwing people around. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm told, at least. So they're, they're sort of ogre-looking uh, masks. They don't, they don't have anything pointy. That, because they're actually, there's like, it's full contact um, sport if you you know it's like the if you see video of it it's like the the running of the bulls when they release the krampuses and uh, <laughs> the goal in particular well what's you know what's i mentioned earlier that i've seen an old film where you'll you where you'll see the the krampuses pulling furniture out into the snow that's actually become sort of ritualized uh, this is the area by the way it, it's just called east tyrol um and matrai is the city that's known for this um don't go there. Uh, I don't think they don't want you to go there. But so what they've done is, um, so this, uh, so the, when these house visits, I'm going to back up a bit more. In the house visits, the kids hide behind the di- the kitchen table. The kitchen table is the dining room table. It's the kind of the center of the house. And it's usually, you know, in the old farmhouses, it's going to be a heavy oak table or whatever. Um, so everybody, so the kids are like on, you know, the benches behind the heavy table to protect them from the Krampuses when they come in. So of course the goal for the Krampuses is to remove the thing that is protecting the children. So that sort of evolved into them. Uh, they're having to pull out the furniture. They want to remove, they want to remove the table protecting the children. So you remove the table, you might as well throw it in the snow because that'll create inconvenience. In this town, Matrai, um, they've, they build, there's like sort of a big, uh, looks like a racetrack studying uh, or outdoor field and they recreate a, they build a little mock-up of a, of a, <laughs> a Austrian kitchen, a farm kitchen and they have the table. And so they seat grown men behind the table and the guys costumed as Krampuses will charge out and try to pull the table away, which they inevitably succeeded doing because there's a lot more of them. And then, so that's, once that's accomplished, the object is to rip the shirts off the, off the men who have decided to try to test, test themselves and hurl them in the snow and sort of jump on them and stuff. So it really gets violent. I, there was some injury a few years ago. With some, somebody ended up in the hospital with, I think, in, in a coma as a result of all this. So, again, it's like, don't, don't go there as, 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 I mean, unless. Well, uh, I, unless you're into I, it, right? <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. 
Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and are useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur <laughs> injuries, paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This so sounds was, like it, it combines uh, Christmas and Festivus, and this is one of the feats of strength. But <laughs> <laughs> that would, yes, I didn't want to interrupt because it led into what I was going to ask you: how travel enter into your research? Like, how did you incorporate that into? This is not a armchair uh, researcher kind of book. So, <laughs> well, I, I dearly wish I could have could have traveled more. I uh, did a handful of Krampus runs in one visit one year, and then really uh, after that, I. I made a bunch of contacts that way, and after that, I, I well, a lot of my when I got into asking the nitty gritty questions, it was all uh, online correspondence. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go back this year, I hope, and sort of pick up more detail. But uh, yeah, it was sort of an intense, uh, intense like uh, week and a half of, of running around between Krampus runs, and uh, after that, I, you know, it's it's just follow up. Uh, yes, I was I, trying to find a rowdy traditionalist area. I f settled in the Gustine Valley. And uh, so I ended up getting an email from a friend of mine once I had arrived there. I'd just come back from my first Krampus run. I'd, I'd been pushed in the snow, so that made me happy. I was doing all I could to get hit and so forth. Um, they, you know, the thing is, the, the guys in the costumes actually, they kind of, they have kid gloves when it comes to tourists or somebody. You know, the towns are pretty small, so they kind of recognize if you're a local or they definitely know if you're a tourist. So they, it was hard to get, hard to get smacked. Um, um, the women, woman I was with, had no problem getting smacked because it's <laughs> a sort of targeting of of, of it, there's a it's a weird kind of courtship thing with the guys in the costumes and women. Uh, that's like a whole other topic. But um, anyway, so I just gotten back from the run. I had been smacked. I was happy about that. I felt like it was a good good luck that I'd gotten from that. And I got an email from a friend of mine who wanted to start doing. Uh, we hadn't really ever talked about, it, but he. he it was the season. I was there on the day, and he was just thinking, "Well, why don't we do one, uh, uh, a Krampus run in L.A.?" His name is Al Guero, and he uh, he was somebody that I we we had been involved in previous groups um, that had done sort of street theater, guerrilla theater kind of craziness. Um, you mentioned cosplay, and I almost hesitate to mention this because it's gotten such a bad reput reputation in the ensuing years. But uh, we. We're involved in a group called the Cacophony Society, which itself I don't think has a terrible reputation, but we created the, the Santa, something called SantaCon or Santa Rampage. With uh, you see, it's happened now. It's spread way beyond anything that we were completely claim responsibility for. But 
it's wherever you'll see uh, lots of cities have it, dozens of cities in the U.S. where you know hundreds of people wear cheap Santa suits and run around disgracing the <laughs> image of Saint Nick. So we basically had been involved in that in the early, oh, I'm sorry, uh, mid, you know, throughout the '90s, and that had gotten kind of, uh, it gotten kind of boring and uh, <clears throat> uh, kind of sort of uh, attracted. It just became a mob scene that wasn't even fun. So, but I think everybody missed. You're talking about tradition. I think everybody missed this little homemade tradition we'd created, or we kind of we felt we'd been displaced from because it had gotten so big. So the Al and I, the two Al's, uh, sort of got some more people together who had been involved in that sort of thing. And we started making costumes, and the thing, uh, our Krampus run got, you know, bigger and bigger each year. And now we close off a, a, for a few years. Now we close off a street in downtown LA, and we have a, a friend of ours comes down from the Bay Area with a steam car that he built, and there are St. Nicholas rides and that. And we have uh, maybe three dozen Krampuses running around and hundreds of uh, spectators getting hit. And surprisingly, it goes pretty well. I think people, like, they understand the whole getting hit thing. Wow. <laughs> That's better than you think. Yeah. It draws a slap. I mean, it's, it's, we're not just, it's, it's the streets closed off, so it's not just random, random passerby. So I think people that show up, they, they know the drill. Yeah. It, well, it, I, and we talk. I, I, I also everyone's coached and sort of warned, right? Yeah. How, what kind of hitting we're talking? It, it's about. all fun and games until somebody, right? right. Well, the rule, the rule has always been uh, we did, we kind of just do what. Well, we don't do what Europeans do because there is more familiarity with the custom. But uh, yeah, you just the well, kid, they uh, had socialized medicine too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the smacks are like, uh, and also in, in Europe, people are dressed really heavy, so being hit by this little broom, the switches are kind of basically a little stick broom. Yeah. Um, you know, they hit them on you hit them on their on their on their butt and their thighs. I hope I could say that word and uh, lower legs and you know they're, if they have a winter coat on. It's not going to do anything. But uh, so yeah, we never hit on the like chest or face or anything uh, that might you know being scratched with. Uh, that's the most common injury. People get scratched by these things in the eye and that that you know that's serious. I, I so I don't want to lose track of just how good of a book this is because <laughs> it's really good. Uh, but I wanted to, uh, without spoiling it, I, I wonder if there's. Uh, first of all, I had two questions related to content. What one is? Uh, is there any particular Krampus lore that really stuck out of you? T- stuck out to you as sort of like the elevator pitch for this book? Uh, and then the other question is: Were there any stories that your publisher said, "No, you can't include that"? <laughs> <laughs> well, my publisher. Uh... My publisher, uh, my publisher likes controversial stuff, which uh, probably maybe the book might sell more if I <laughs> didn't like it so much. But no, they, they're, they're, yeah, Feral House is known for ped- publishing edgy stuff, so that wasn't really an issue. In fact, I think that would be what I think what attracted him. I think one of the things that was surprised me uh, and seemed kind of shocking was um, this idea that this uh, Saint Nicholas and his devil, the Krampus. Um, Attached to the Saint, the Nicholas's Saint Day on the December sixth is really only one of uh, other kind of uh, monstrous, uh, well, sort of, it's sort of monstrous inversions of saints. So every like several, all, all the like a lot of the Saint Days in in the winter have a a, a boogeyman associated with them. So like uh, Saint Thomas Day is, uh, I think it's the twentieth, twenty first, or the eve is the twentieth, I guess. Uh, and so there's a character that appears on St. Thomas Day, they just call Bloody Thomas. 
And he is because uh, this was the day that it'd be traditional, uh, depending on what century you're talking about, they're traditional to slaughter uh, animals for the winter to make sausage and so forth. Mm, so sausage. <laughs> so kids would see like there'd be it'd be traditional to see a lot of people walking around butchers. I guess you should say walking around covered in blood on that day. And I think what happened was uh, story people started making up stories about this bloody boogeyman that would <laughs> come after the kids. And the next thing you know, you have an evil Saint Thomas. And, the, and there's also an evil like a, they call it Shuck or ugly. Uh, Lucy uh, or the Lutz, uh, who is an evil Saint Lucy. So finding out that, like, so Saint Nicholas manages to sort of be detached from his devil. It's kind of bifurcated into two pers- pers- personalities. But other some other saints actually just became evil evil on that day. Or he was the you know it's more honest perhaps to say they were the boogeymen that appeared on that day. But they call they call him the bad Thomas or the bad Lucy. So uh, the, the the Krampus is basically the bad Nicholas. That's Wow. So, so uh, it, the boogeyman uh, and, you know, I, I come from uh, North Georgia and my, my grandmother uh, was raised up in the, they're not really mountains, but the, the, the foothills of the Appalachians. And uh, she always called it the booger man. Um, and I, I've always been fascinated by trying to track down the etymology of that. And I haven't really had any luck. It's, it's, uh, oh, well, I, I believe, I think that roommate may, ended up being in my book. That's actually uh, – so the, the, the word booger um, until like I think the, the 1700s meant spirit or ghost or you know uh, supernatural – it was a supernatural being. So it, it, yeah, and the, the odd thing is uh, there's uh, the word in Butz in German is the same thing. It's actually the same. It's a sort of parallel issue in uh, German. Uh, there's, so the Butz, uh, Butzmann – or the uh, it means it basically it's a, almost literal. It's almost a uh, I, what's the word? I can't think of the word. Uh, it's a, it's a sort of parallel construction in German. Oh, so yeah. Uh, oh crap! That's a great. Uh, you mean where it's like um, it's two different languages, but sounds almost the same. Is it, yeah. Yeah. God. Yeah. Okay. Of, we'll skip it. We'll skip it. But I, I that's the kind of thing I would like normally stop and yeah, try to Google. Means, it meant, used to mean spirit or ghost. Yeah. So your grandma is right. Well, she she was uh, you know the the family name was Gieren, and they were all from German stock. So I, I think uh, I think they probably brought that down, or it might have been for the region. Like one half of my family's German, the other half is uh, from Scottish. Well, apparently it was. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. both sides of the Anglo-Saxon equation. Yeah. So even now, up near uh, uh, the tallest. Uh, hill that's not really a mountain <laughs> in georgia is a uh, breast town bald and up near there uh is uh, a place called booger hollow and i i, I oh, just <laughs> i've just been fascinated by uh trying to find out why right <laughs> there, was that were there murders there or am i just, just wishful thinking in breast town bald or booger hollow yeah, it's booger hollow i just feel like i've seen something oh i don't that. know i suspect it's not the only booger hollow in the appalachians oh, so, true, yeah. so so uh I, I don't know. It's one of those uh, local mysteries. It's near um, the, some of the oldest uh, uh, stone art uh, from like Paleolithic times uh, in like, America. Yeah. George. Petroglyphs? Yeah, petroglyphs. Yep. Yeah, it's a Trek Rock Gap petroglyph site, uh, which is real, really close to Booger Hollow. And, uh, you know, a lot of locals. Well, there's been some controversy because some people have sort of uh, made some uh, wrong 
wrong <laughs> archaeological conclusions. You know, folk archaeology, which is quite a bit different yeah. from real archaeology. <laughs> that happens. Anyway, not super important, but I, it, it's I just find it. I love it when there's there's places around here like Murder Creek. You know, <laughs> I, I, why? What's the story behind that? I love the sort of getting place names down to like the stories that sort of cause them to be whatever they are. I just find that absolutely fascinating. So your book extends beyond the Krampus into lots of other folklore, but one of the more interesting chapters is about, oh, I hope I say this right, Frau Perksta? <laughs> oh, that's always hard. Uh, Perksta, if you want to be... Yeah. yeah, it's like a sound kind of... <laughs> Fair. <laughs> it's about uh, oh, the ugly witch lady. Could you... <laughs> yeah. Or, or Perksta. You could say just an SH sound. I think some Perksta. areas they actually kind of make that sound... Uh, yeah, I somehow I've, ma- I've managed to jabber on about the history without talking about her, which is kind of strange. Uh, when I talk about the kind of older forms of this Krampus tradition, um, the, they are uh, they're basically uh, uh, spirits that would uh, are associated with this Frau Perste. So this Lady Perste was uh, representative of a class of again a class of Persten, which are Basically, the early form of the Krampus. Um, and so this uh, Frau Perste was sort of like an uh, unchurched version of Nicholas. So she was in charge of, of the discipline of observing the behavior of children. Particularly, um, she was really more associated with female children and with uh, also the house servants that might – anybody involved with the process of keeping the house sort of the domestic order running, everything clean, and also spinning. She was very associated with spinning. So uh, there, and there's kind of different, uh, there's different ideas about what this character was. Um, the, the one that's closest in time to us is, uh, was sort of a kind of evil witchy character, uh, <clears throat> that would punish. So basically, um, instead of, uh, January, instead of December 6th, the, uh, Saint, Saint's day for Nicholas, um, she would appear on Epiphany and her name actually, uh, comes from, an old Bavarian uh, uh, phrase that means the the shining night, which is sort of basically mean it was used for Epiphany. So that's why she has that odd name. So she was basically Lady Epiphany, uh, and again, kind of like this uh, Thomas that I was talking about, or Lucy. She was she was a scary <laughs> version of that uh, Catholic holiday. Anyway, there's a nice woodcut from the 1700s that shows her in all her glory, and it's actually called the. Uh, so we have that word Bootsen, the booger. So again, she's like the boogie or booger uh, perched. Um, so this, uh, the way she's, so the way she's shown in that picture, I, I'm going to, I will describe that because it's pretty iconic of how to think of her. She's uh, like an old crone. She's bent. She's humpbacked. She has warts in her nose. And interestingly, she's, she, if, you, if, if <laughs> I should, uh, maybe you can put a picture of this on the website. Um, she uh, has her nose dripping with snot. So I believe the artist was going for some sort of pun uh, there. So that should be that should be very important to the monster talk crowd, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I was so, just you think about body horror and uh, she puts the crone in Cronenberg, right? So <laughs> <laughs> when you talk about Peristo, it's it's sort of like I believe this is where one of the reasons we have the witches considered to have this ugly nose is so Frau Perista's nose is really an issue. So in some stories, uh, I think this is the also said of the witch, Russian witch Baba Yaga. She has oh, an iron Baba nose. Baba Yaga, I love Baba Yaga. Okay, sorry. yeah, so I, you know, and also if, if uh, people are familiar with Baba Yaga, 
can kind of picture her, and that's what that's what Perisha looks like. Although she, all, unlike uh, Baba Yaga, she, uh, she her role is different, but the, the sort of look is the same. And so, in this uh, one uh, engraving or woodcut I have, um, there she has a, a big basket on her back, stuffed full of children, and she has uh, she has a distaff for spinning, which I think is going to be used to smack kids. This is from the 1700s, and we're seeing this boogeyman carrying away children in a basket, which is what in the early 1900s, late 1800s, we see with the Krampus. So we have this character, this female character in December, on January 6th who comes to judge children and <laughs> scare them and beat them, torture them if they're, if they're, they're, in the, they're not doing as, as they should, not towing the line. And then you have this other character on, this, on December 6th, this Krampus devil. And so, you know, I get, so there's all of these parallel threads in this tradition. So I, I'm, I, I, what happened was um, the Perista tradition got borrowed into the into St. Nicholas Day and associated with the saint, and so that it sort of got christened or baptized by the church. Although I, I'm going to I'm going to back up that this this tradition the, the Krampus Nicholas thing is kind of outside the church. It was kind of accepted, but it wasn't. But anyway, it's Christianized according to the people. That it was sort of this folk sort well, of. Well, uh, so. You... So in the course of, of doing Monster Talk, we, we, I've, I've learned so many things. And, and one of the things, uh, I think maybe Joe Laycock, uh, who's talked to us a few times about, uh, uh, we've talked about uh, Dungeons and Dragons and monsters. And uh, the, his, he and his wife talked about tulpas and how they were changed. But the, the idea of uh, hybridism and syncretism in, in yeah. religious traditions, so of merging two concepts together sort of shaving off the parts that don't fit and just keeping the parts that work and that happens again and again and i know that like uh, a lot of people talk about christmas being a uh, a pagan holiday that sort of got reappropriated uh and I, I have to wonder like how many of these things were not necessarily hijacked as much as they were hybridized and yeah. that, i think that's a better word yeah i think that's a much better way to look at it because also yeah I, what what people are considering <laughs> the whole, yeah, the whole area of what is Christian, what is pagan. I mean, also when we say pagan, we kind of just mean un, not a little bit outside the church, not right. part of the schooled ecclesiastic tradition of theological tradition. But you know, the I, the people that you know were involved in these practices kind of were fine working in both systems. I think, and I think that's I think that's what the cramp where the Krampus falls. And you know, there is all it's a spectrum, really. But yeah, to say one was stolen and became the possession of another is a little, I think that's a little extreme. Well, it does, the, the Frau Pershta reminds yeah, me about the, the idea that uh, uh, all the uh, sort of grim fairy tales involving witches, you know, eating children, uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the idea of the ugly old witch. This is, uh, you know, that's always, to me, been like a, a deep contrast to the idea of uh, witches as, uh, you know, the sort of... Uh, uh, Murray, uh, in female empowerment through, you know, nature goddess. Or that's what, oh, you, you know, well, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was a, a demonization of those characters. These may have been these folklore characters getting sort of merged in with people's idea of witchcraft. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, that whole, the idea of what a witch is, has really changed over time. I mean, yeah. witches were not, witches were like a different, <laughs> Largely, a diff they're like a different species. Yes, they're like a yes, or yes. a vampire. Yeah. They, you didn't learn, you didn't study, you didn't get a, a spell book and learn to be a witch or practice some tradition. You were just, and you probably ate kids, you know? Right. And you, then as you, I, you, I think you, with the Spanish, with the, I'm sorry, with the Inquisition. 
Spanish Inquisition. And, you know, things, books like The Witch's Hammer, it started to become something that was uh, a series of rituals versus the sort of, you know, the early words for witches are the same used for every kind of monster, practically. Right. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't even human. They were a different species. Which right. Which in my my research into werewolves and silver bullets, it was it was obvious to me that that silver bullets were used to kill witches because they couldn't be killed otherwise. Which is quite a bit right. different from throw them on the fire. We'll take care of this, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it they were really problematic because they could turn into animals and they could uh, avoid damage through natural, you know, weaponry. Well, I, yeah, I think in those days, and this would apply to Frau Perista and all of these, the cramp. I mean, well, the apply to Frau Perista definitely. People never believed they would see her. She wasn't something you saw. She was something you talked about. So you didn't need to find her and burn her as a witch. She was just out there in the mountains or in the woods. Um, so you would never actually encounter her. You just fear her. Um, and you'd hear about somebody else. You'd hear a friend of a friend's story or some legend about the person that had encountered her. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't somebody you'd look for in your village, you know? Right, right. It's the it's the sort of the difference between a, a myth and a uh, a monster. Like, I mean, you know, the, the uh, there's, there's lots of cases. Like, uh, well, you know, I, nothing really is coming to mind right now. <laughs> But there are a lot of monsters that you don't really expect to see, yeah. and, and and there's creatures from mythology you don't really expect to see. Oh, oh, oh Medusa. You don't really expect to see Medusa. She's a character right. in, in a mythology. But but the idea of the Gorgon, I don't know that that in particular, maybe people did think they could see Gorgons. I don't know. Well, but, you know. That's a, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good, that's a good, that's an interesting thing to think about because, and it, it relates to what, I mean, I was kind of posed questions like this during when I was working, doing interviews with the book and people, uh, people didn't, I will say people did not believe that the Krampus was an actual monster out in the Alp, out in the snowy, you know, rock fields uh, of the Alps. Um, they, it was, uh, they didn't, at the time that that name came about in the 1900s, People might believe, you know, the Krampus, it was kind of a fun game for children. So people uh, were not actually scared. Even children were scared of it because people would dress up as this thing and come leaping into the house making lots of noise and maybe smack some people around. But, yeah, it wasn't like uh, a tradition no, a tradition that uh, people believe, believed in that way. It was uh, kind of uh, uh, consensual, <laughs> consensual game uh, in the community. Now, Paris, as you, the further back you go – you might have people believe in it, but even in the 1600s, I think these people were dressing up as characters from their mythology to have fun. But I don't think you know they, we like to you know so we're so like prone to say the you know the ignorant peasants of the of, of this this or that era. A lot of these things are not uh, they're not they're not things that peasants were frightened of necessarily. There were there was a way to have fun and make uh, the cosplay of the time. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that's exactly right. I mean. It may have been symbolically important more so to some people than others, but you're right. Yeah. The, the artistry, the tradition of carrying out these sort of uh, reenactments or, or, or yeah. these role plays, I, it, it, it seems astonishingly modern to me. I mean, yeah. I mean you know. Uh, yeah, and I think we, we kind of inherited, uh, you know, the sort of 19th century sort of uh, attitude towards previous pre previous centuries and uncivilized so to speak you know cultures uh when yeah i think we need to give them more credit uh, and realize that they were playing games that were you know are 
just as sophisticated as, as sophisticated as what we you know what we play. Oh yeah, absolutely, and I I think that does get lost a lot. Uh, people yeah. people people have a sort of uh, intellectual smugness about <laughs> modernity. Yeah. Meanwhile, on the flat Earth, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I let, let me. Uh, I guess we need to kind of wind up. Uh, yeah. Uh, so let's see. We've talked about your podcast. We've talked about your book. Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about? You, you, you seem like you've been actively involved in sort of underground art and public acts, uh, uh, sort of these uh, artistic events. Is there? Uh, would you like to talk about that a little bit? About what you know? I, I guess I, I snuck a little in about the cacophony. Society. You did. You I- did. Yeah. That was uh, I did through the '90s. I was involved in that group. That uh, if people, it's not really well known uh, now, or maybe in the West Coast, it's a bit well known more. Uh, it, um, people that might have heard of the Burning Man Festival, uh, it, they, it should be. Uh, I should <laughs> I should make clear that the Cacophony Society started that, much like the Santa Rampage, the Santa Mass Santa rabble rousing uh thing that we started uh it's kind of grew on to become its own thing which sounds uh, really funny i don't know if it is but it sure sounds hilarious uh yeah it was i think what happened was uh it got bigger and bigger and with larger uh larger groups there's less sense of any of any individual responsibility ah. it uh and with less responsibility i'm not i'm not saying it got it got a little out of control but also it's less fun i think we were in, when we were like <laughs> dressing up as santa and running around um it was a smaller group, so there was a little more. It was a little more, uh, little more frightening for us, which is more stimulating and exciting. Yeah, you know, it was, it's like yeah. Once it became, it became sort of like a you know, big, you're running big buses and people are all filing out, and there's 200 people, and it's it's a different thing. What, but, what, uh, what yeah. was it called? Uh, our, our, our the original group was called the Cacophony Society. No, no, no. And, I, meant, I meant the Santa thing in particular. Oh, Santa Santa Con or the Santa Rampage. I think their Santa Con is the most common. Uh, a phrase to describe it. It's also some people have called it Santarchy. Um, That's not bad. But, uh, I would have gone with Ho 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 Down. Uh, <laughs> you know, that might have been used by this now too. Uh, people have been, uh, a friend of mine uh, did, a, did it with a group in Japan, which has continued to do it in Tokyo. Uh, it's like all over. It's, it's, it, I know there's groups in London, uh, uh, in, I'm sorry, in the UK. Um, so it, I think there's a website called santacon.com, not endorsed by me, but. Uh, or, or any anybody originally involved. I think they're trying to sell the cheap Santa suits that people people sell. But um, so yeah, that was something we started. Um, and uh, the Cacophony Society would do other kind of at the time. Oh, it was the '90s, so we were all talking about um, uh, subverting the <laughs> subverting the uh, uh, what was the the phrase? The well, fl- you know, flash mobs is something that came out of that world. Um, yeah. And, kind of different uh that was you know flash mob is kind of like the santa thing i'm describing except the santa thing is a prolonged thing and there was people could actually announce a meeting point and so forth or it was less a little less secretive so the cacophony society did sort of different uh kind of prankish things along with like touring we we organized tours to like uh outsider art sites and ufo cult headquarters and stuff like that um and then we you know we do some other prankish uh shows themed shows um it well yeah. and you're also friends with uh dr paul is it kudanaris yeah yeah and he he'd been on uh, i forget what episode number it was but it was back in 2014 talking about yeah demon cats we talked about yeah. 
Oh, he's thinking. I, I thought it was maybe ship cats. It's I, or it was demon cats, right? He he has different cat lectures. He does. <laughs> <laughs> it was really interesting. I just thought it was cool because it's, I think it may be the first time we've had on a second guest who was friends with another guest, but oh, I, really? I didn't put it all together. Yeah, I mean, we people know each other professionally, but you guys were you've known each other a long time, right? Yeah, he did stuff with you know he did yeah. stuff with our the Cacophony Society. Yeah, I've known him for. That's awesome. I really need to get out to LA sometime and have some kind of like Monster Talk alumni (laughs) meetup. Oh, yeah. I'd like to meet the other Monster Talk listeners out here. Yeah, it would be really cool. Maybe this is a good time to talk about giving out contact info. Yeah, let's do that. Well, uh, actually, let's do one more question and then we'll we'll do that. Okay. So let's do. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, we can do it now. However, whatever. It doesn't matter. Do you want to talk about that? So you've actually got some things you're working on. Uh, yeah. So what, 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 how do people get in touch with you? How do people get your book? Uh, well, the book is it just, you can go to Amazon, uh, amazon.com. <laughs> Any, it, that's the easiest way. You can also buy it, uh, through, uh, feralhouse.com. Uh, that's the publisher. And the title again is the Krampus in the, the old Kramp- dark Christmas. Yes. Thanks. And, uh, so there's that. Uh, and, the, and we'll uh, put a link in the show notes, obviously. Yeah. Great. And, uh, I'm also, um, I'm also uh, if we we need to get the uh, we need to get enough science for this, but uh, I'm also set to uh, pre- that presuming that happens uh, to lead or uh, lead a uh, Krampus tour this year in uh, Austria and Bav- and Bavaria. That sounds so fantastic. That yeah, we're going to uh, uh, the Salzburg and Graz, so the uh, the cities will be in for the Krampus runs, and we're, we're doing a, several in those cities. Graz is really Graz got kind of well known because there's a spectacular video uh that's was shot like the sun's going down the snow is falling in the camera and was just the right position so a good catch-all is just uh alreidenauer.com uh and then they can also i'm on facebook under that name and they can also go to boneandsickle.com bone and and such a troublesome phrase to use it's not an ampersand and it's spelled out and there's no hyphens or dashes and it's definitely Definitely. In fact, if you listen to me and follow instructions, you should have already signed up for it. But definitely <laughs> subscribe to Bone and Sickle because if you like Monster Talk, you're really going to get a kick out of it. It's, it's awesome. So that brings us um, to the final question, Al. Oh, the the final. What the final question is? Yeah, <laughs> it's my favorite. Al, my favorite what's your monster? favorite monster? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I've given this some thought and. It would be – it's sort of dishonest. I mean obviously I wrote a whole book about the Krampus, so that's kind of my favorite monster. But as I said earlier, I grew up loving all different monsters. It's really a – this is a – it's not a fair question. Um, I'm going to say uh, – I'm going to go kind of close to the Krampus, so – and uh, mention uh, – I'm going to I'm gonna nominate the, the Habergeist, which is another alpine monster. It's Sometimes they call him the pet of the Krampus or the Pershton. Uh, and it's uh, it's a goat. It's sort of a monstrous monster goat character. Um, there's different ways of representing him. He could be uh, he's so you'll actually see this uh, these guys dressed. You'll occasionally see people dressed as a hopper guy. So it could be uh, two, it could be like a pantomime horse with two guys. And uh, there's always a long neck, like a giraffe neck. And you might wonder why should a monster goat have a extended long neck? And the reason is. Uh, uh, one thing you find in most of the parade costumes that are used is there's a spring-activated jaw that the op- that the guys underneath operate, 
And so this big neck is for swinging out and stealing people's hats or biting at people. <laughs> so he's very uh, he's very intrusive. Wow. So I mean, that's the parade the parade figure. But um, there's also there's all these other stories. It could be there were stories told about how it was like a banshee that it would appear in your fields before somebody in the house would die. Or um, other stories have it being like a half bird, half goat creature. Uh, it could sit on your chest like a like the night hag causing sleep paralysis so it's really like i'm going with that one because it's like a real multi-function monster neat it looks <laughs> it looks very cool and of course now it reminds me of black philip from the uh the witch movie <laughs> oh yeah have you seen the witch it's, it's i assume you have but if, oh, yeah i love witch which is the witch is pure the pure kind of folk folklore meets horror thing that i i, I love and Al, I, I, let me just say, I, I really appreciate you making the time to come join us on Monster Talk. Uh, I, I can't recommend uh, your material enough. Uh, hopefully people get that out of this interview. Uh, and uh, this is going to go up fast. I think this will probably go up next week. So oh, awesome. Uh, I, I love the Krampus in July title. This is going to be Oh, up. I hope it brings people some the thoughts of cold snowy alpine crests i think that should be a pretty appealing to people across the country right now monster talk you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith and tonight we were in conversation with al ridenor the author of krampus and the old dark christmas and the host of the highly recommended podcast bone and sickle ridenor's valet wilkinson was portrayed by rick gallagher and appeared by special arrangement with Bone and Sickle. Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as a donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. If you're going to be in the Frankfort, Kentucky area in September, be sure to come see me at CryptidCon, a conference focused on cryptids and monsters. It's September 8th and 9th, and I'll be giving a talk about the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. Stop by and say hello. And check out their website at cryptidcon.com. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. SciCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, 
to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want PsyCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Psybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, many more, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Monster Talk theme music is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. Thanks again for listening. Save the date for a colossal PsyCon 2018. Bigger venue, bigger stars, bigger ideas, bigger fun. Las Vegas, October the 18th to the 21st, 2018. PsyCon is already one of the planet's premier skeptical conferences where hundreds of critical thinkers come to Las Vegas, the city of illusions, to hear from the leading lights of science and skepticism. For 2018, we want PsyCon to be bigger than ever. We've even booked a bigger hotel. Come to Las Vegas at the Westgate Resort and Casino to see the brilliant and hilarious Stephen Fry on stage with Richard Dawkins. An opening night talk by Stephen Pinker on the ideas behind his new book, Enlightenment Now. The triumphant return of James the Amazing Randy. Plus, New York Times science writer Carl Zimmer, psychologist and memetics expert Susan Blackmore, the Psybabe Yvette Dontremont, virologist and advocate for science-based medicine Paul Offit, and many, 
Minnie Moore, along with comic musician George Rubb, serving as Master of Ceremonies, a magic show from Banachek, author book signings, and of course, a Halloween costume party. It's true, conspiracy theorists, quacks peddling fake medicine, and the deniers of evolution, climate change, and vaccine science are bigger threats than ever. With PsyCon 2018, let's show them that they have just met their match. We'll see you in Las Vegas. For more information and to book your tickets, visit csiconference.org. That's psiconference.org. Did I lose you? Did we lose? No, no, I'm here. I'm just listening. Sorry. Oh, okay. So, sorry. No, I... I was actually... I, let me be honest. Let me be completely honest. I was sitting here trying to figure out how to make a benchmark pun. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we can edit one in. No, 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 no. It's okay. I want them to be all organic and natural. So... <laughs> so...